Hello, Horror Fanatics! I'm Frank. And I'm Jen. And we welcome you to our weekly podcast. Oh, the horror. Thank you for joining us as we dive deep into all things horror, supernatural, scary, and downright creepy. If you like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe to add us to your regular rotation of podcasts. You can also submit any ideas, comments, and suggestions to oth at seriouslydecent.com. And you can also contact us or check out the latest stuff going on on our website at ohthehorrorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join our Facebook group. Yes. Oh, the Horror Podcast. Yes. Which can be found on, on Facebook. Ohthehorrorpodcast.com. <laughs> can. It can. Yes. So how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I mean, no complaints. Yeah. How about yourself? Great. We did our taxes yesterday. We did. Well, we, we didn't. We did our adulting. The tax, the the tax, tax people did. did them. Yeah. 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 I and, mean, uh, we just brought in our stuff and said, here, can you do here, this for me? Can you, can you make this better? Can I get out of this? Can you put in numbers? Can I get out of this? Can you can you put in numbers and I get numbers back? You know, that's, can this uh, be painless, please and thank you, please, yeah, please. Yep. Old uh, creative director Dean had an interesting day yesterday. Uh, he was not pleased with that turn of events. No. Um, what he was really not pleased with is we left, and then I realized I forgot some paperwork. Like and the I, most important paper. Yeah, my W-2s. Yes. And then I come back and he's going apeshit in the house because he's like, dad's back. Yeah. And he's looking for you. Mm-hmm. And then I had to poop. <laughs> so he's sitting there waiting at the door because I knew they had no public bathrooms up on the sign there. Yeah, no, they had signs everywhere. Yeah. So I was like, I better do my business here. because might other- as well just put up. You can't poop here. Well, and then we're starting <laughs> we're starting to breach into my number one fear here. Yeah. Pooping your pants. Pooping my pants after a car accident. Yeah. That's my that's my number one fear. If I have to poop really bad in the car, that's yeah. all I'm thinking about is don't get in a car accident. I just Because that's the how time they're gonna find me. We were driving back from a restaurant and you had the heated seats on. Oh my god. <laughs> And it became situation critical. <laughs> Heated seats are like a colonoscopy. Well, not really, but it's that that prep colonoscopy. You were doing the the controlled breathing. Oh I was yeah, like, yeah. Turn the heat off of yeah. on your seat. Bought you a couple minutes. Hit the brakes. <sighs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, we've all been there. I yeah. Everybody's I, been yo, there. Everybody poops. Yeah. Where you start to sweat, and we're not talking meat sweats either. No. Yeah. No. The well, best is when you're in the grocery store, and they're in the midst of a renovation, and you yeah. have no idea where they've moved the restrooms. Or you're at work, and you have to go to the bathroom terrible, mm-hmm. and the cleaning person's in, in the ba- bathroom, and then you got to go to an alternate, and you realize in your mind that I might not make this trip. <laughs> So as you're walking to the bathroom, you're already figuring out your escape plan if something happens yeah. while you're going there. Yeah. And said accident occurs. Yes. You know, you're thinking, I'm just going to go right out the door. If somebody says, hey, can you help me with something? Nope. I'll be like, nope, I'm heading Bye. over to a thing. Got to go. 
Yep. Keep your cool. Yep. Look focused. Yep. And then when you get home, you tell your boss, I got a phone call. Something happened with the family. Yep. I got to deal with that. Yep. Crisis averted. Yes. And if you miss, if you actually get engaged with somebody, well, then you're done. Yeah. Your cover's blown. No. Because they're going to get three feet next to you and smell. <laughs> and if it's me, I'll smell you from 40 feet away <laughs> with my spidey nose, which is a gift and a curse. <sighs> Anyhow. Yeah. So today. Yes. The big guy. We need a drum roll. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to get the sound. We have that. the best of the best. <laughs> Vlad the Impaler. Yeah, the man the man, the myth, the legend. The man with thirteen names, it Seriously, appears. Seriously. Holy I, uh, cow. I'm gonna say it right now. We're gonna refer to him as Vlad Three. Yeah. Vlad the Impaler. Or Vlad Three Dracul. Dracul or Dracula. Dracula. Or if we're getting really crazy, Vlad what was it Tep, Tepes or? Uh, yeah, I didn't yeah. refer to him to that at all. Yeah, no, no. It just um, it's like Tepeste. But he was like something. Apollo Creed and Rocky, King of Sting. The you know, and yeah. just going on and on and on. And <laughs> you got Rocky in the back. Does this guy have how many names? You know, I mean, it's yeah. Just, it uh, yeah. It was the but, struggle was real. But what a weird time this era was. I mean, it wasn't great. It's late medieval. Yeah. And um, 14, ta- tail end of the medieval period. 48 is when he was born. No. Oh, 1431. Oh, no. He was uh, he was the ruler from yeah. 1448. I mean, they don't know exactly when he was born. A yeah, lot they of this don't. Is... And they don't know where. Yeah. Okay. So at the end of the day. Historians aren't sure where he was born, yeah. where he lived, where yeah. he died, where he was buried. He's got 57 names. Mm-hmm. So we're just but we're just going with the best that we have. What's interesting with Vlad yes. is it's not just, again, this is the stupid theme I always circle around. It wasn't just his stories or like his document, you know, people that like documented him and like say a biographer he had around that was recording tales or whatever and all that stuff a lot of this stuff was also his opponents yeah that were describing this stuff so certain things i know that i'm going to describe on this it's totally from the view of the opposition right yeah and i think that's what makes this so tangible and real yeah it's funny because the perimeters outside of where he ruled yeah are like this man was the worst thing. The worst human like, being on the planet. He may as yeah. well have been the devil himself. But in his borders, and they're like where he ruled. They're like, no man, he, he was he, he was, was a, a he, just and he fair was a just ruler. and fair ruler. <laughs> you know, but we won't get too far ahead on that. I uh, so we want to do the definition bit on this. I just have he was the voy. Voivode of Wallachia, um, Which three times. Similar to it, a, it just means ruler. Similar to a prince or duke. Yeah, um, between fourteen forty eight and his death, around or about December of fourteen seventy six. Yeah, and, it, and this is. I took all of my information from a live science article, the real Dracula, 
Vlad the Impaler by Mark Layanilla. I did a variety of websites, and but most of the stuff I got was from these cool hourly history books. Yeah. Which um, yep. I will put some sort of link to them if you're into historical things and yeah, you want seriously. a little short hourly bite, you can get them, uh, you can download them or you can order them on Amazon, like uh, a did. physical copy yeah. like we did. We didn't realize that there was a bunch of these, but you can go to their website and you can put your email in and every Friday they give you a link to various hourly books, but it's hourly history, Vlad the Impaler, a life from beginning to end. And I don't even think it has a It didn't have, author. I looked through the whole thing. Yeah. And I think it's just a, a, it's a series group. of editors. Yeah, it's a series of yeah. editors just doing like a publishing of these. But good book nonetheless. So I really wish I spoke Romanian or Hungarian. It would have helped. It would have made this so much easier. Yeah. Holy so cow. We're going to warn you ahead of time. We're going to butcher the living shit out of some of this stuff. Well, I did I look up some pronunciations, yeah. Yeah. and I'm just hoping that they gave me the correct pronunciation. Mm-hmm. I almost That's sent- why I'm filing the disclaimer <laughs> now, because you it- can try as hard as you want. I'm just coming flat out and saying, I'm going to screw this. I'm going to screw some of these uh, words up. Time was not on my side, because I was going to send an email to um, Christina P., Tom mm-hmm. Segura's wife, because she's 100% Hungarian, yeah, and yeah. be like, hey, can you help me out with some of these pronunciations? She's just going to respond back to that, like, <laughs> yeah. you guys are chummy and pals. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. we're BFFs. Yeah. Like, that's a thing that she does now. Yeah, yeah. So, that didn't happen. But the, uh, yeah, I couldn't get over the amount of names, and the Vlad Tepes, actually, was Romanian for Impaler. Ah. So, okay. that was how... The yeah. whole impaler thing translated through. Well, I mean, he definitely sent a message. He did. But he was a little dude. He was big on presentation. And they were trying to usurp him and overthrow him the entire time. I mean, they, yeah. they were successful twice. Well, and uh, but again, I'd like to preface the fact, this is the tail end of the medieval era, and we are talking about a time period that people have no correlation or relative kind of... no. No. Uh, idea, you know, like to current experience at all. This was a very turbulent time, massively turbulent. Yeah, yeah. Especially in this area, but yeah. it was a, just an incredible turbulent period. Yeah. And it was really falling apart at the seams. This was basically warlords at rule. Yeah. It was, was if like- you wanted property or you wanted your county bigger, you took it. Yes. There was no talking at the table. No. There was no, and even the talks at the table were pretty crazy. Yeah, they were. So, yeah. Uh, do you want to start off with his beginnings? Okay. Uh, Vlad was born in 1431 in Saisora, Romania, in what is now Transylvania. I'm just going to preface this. He never owned anything in Transylvania. And right now, there's Bron Castle. It's a modern-day tourist attraction and it's touted as dracula's castle but vlad never took up residence there he so never if you there, think yeah. you're actually going to his castle when you go there surprise i think that was you're the not. one that maybe his dad was in no i or, don't know that's think a different his one dad yeah. Has, yeah this one is on a hill yeah it's really creepy looking it's cool looking the mist comes up 
frequently yeah. and it looks like Bram Stoker's Dracula yeah. description. I think that all came out before the internet and people are like, who will know? Exactly. No yeah. one will know. And then later on, everybody knows, you know. Well, that, well now some, everybody knows. Now everybody you know? knows. Yeah. Well, just our listener base. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> the and rest we, of the world is still getting pinched for their uh, yeah. and Dracula's we, castle experience. And we love you dearly, listener base. That's why we're putting you on the inside track of this information. <laughs> so Vlad II, who is um, our Vlad's father, did own a residence in Saisora, Transylvania, but no one is certain that Vlad III was actually born there, as it's also possible he was born in Targovist, which was at the time the royal seat of the Principality of Wallachia, where his father was the ruler. So it would make sense that he would be where, you know. Yeah. Well, and also the 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 kids were... It's, it's perceived that they were from separate mothers. Yeah. You know, there's this a lot of gray areas. Is it's a lot of gray really areas. weird. Yeah. It's a lot like of gray he areas. He had several brothers. Yep. Apparently, his dad had several wives. Mm-hmm. Vlad himself had a couple wives. Yeah. It's, uh, it's good times. So, you can, however, visit a castle where Vlad III spent some time at around the age of 12. Vlad III and his brother were political prisoners in what is now Turkey at Tokat Castle. In 2014, archaeologists found the likely location of the dungeon where they presume he stayed. Here's Now I'm going to stop mm-hmm. because the archaeologists are saying that when Vlad and his brother were these political prisoners, yeah. essentially they were tortured, and that's why Vlad got this bloodlust when he left, and he was like, I got to take it out on the Turkish. However... When you actually dig further, they're saying, no, that's not actually their experience. Like, they actually taught them, you know. Yeah, so to preface this, the the father was a member of the Order of the Dragon. Well, I have that as well. I have that later. And and basically, this order started by the Holy Roman Empire in uh, 1408. Mm -hmm. And with the kids being brought into because i we're kind of putting the cart in front of the horse well i was just yeah i'm just breaking down that while the archaeologists say that these dungeons is where vlad and his brother were likely held even that is suspect oh it's very suspect they were not held there suspect due to all this all the written accounts and, uh, yeah, because like I said, you know, they they were treated rather well and they did learn actual skills. Well, his while brother they got treated there. well. That's where I'm getting at. We got to get to that later then. So Vlad the II was inducted into the Order of the Dragon, as you said, in 1431 by King Sigismund of Hungary. And this earned Vlad II, his dad, the surname Drak, which in Old Romanian means dragon. It now means evil. The Order of Dragons' mission was to defeat the Ottoman Empire, which, let's be honest, that's that's that was Vlad, uh, Vlad's whole life and mission. Yeah. So, Wallachia was located between Christian Europe and the Muslim lands of the Ottoman Empire. And in 1442, Vlad II brought Vlad III 
and Radu, his sons, with him to a diplomatic meeting with Sultan Murad II. The meeting was a trap where all three were held hostage. The elder Vlad was released to ensure he kept his part of their agreement, See, and his sons were to remain as collateral. And that's where we're going to disagree on this, because the other information that I read was that Dracul, the father, mm-hmm. refused to support a Transylvanian invasion. Mm-hmm. So in order to prove that he still deferred to the Sultan uh, Mirad II, Vlad Dracul and his sons, Vlad Dracula and Radu, went to uh, Galpoi, where all three of them were imprisoned. So basically he was doing it yeah. as just to let them know, like, I'm still on your side. Yes. Because he's trying to hold on to the property. It wasn't a trick or anything. The stuff that well, I read... That the meeting was predetermined was what I read. Mm-hmm. And upon his arrival with his sons, they were all three imprisoned. But the father was released after stating, you know, hey, I, I am loyal. Mm-hmm. And it was all to keep him from fighting in the war between Turk- Turkey and Hungary. Yeah, and he left his sons as and collateral. Left, yes, and they were the collateral. And while with the Ottomans, Vlad III and Radu, his younger brother, were tutored in science, philosophy, and Mm -hmm. the arts. And Vlad became a skilled horseman and warrior. And they appeared to be treated reasonably well for the standards of the time. And Radu actually acquiesced um, and sided with Turkey. And at one point, I believe he even converted to their religion. So this is where my source is different as well. I knew this was going to happen the whole podcast. That's why I gave the preface of it that, you know, we split off into different directions and we hashed this out on the show yeah, because people need to realize that not one source of information is no, the same. No, there's not. Now, I read this from a couple sources and that they were treated well as far as uh, education, horsemanship, and w- mm-hmm. warfare and everything. But I also read that Vlad resisted his captivity yes. the whole entire time. Yes. And that's why he was in bad, bad keepings there. That's why he got tortured. Got That's it. why now his brother, Radu, he complied right. and he did convert to Islam mm-hmm. and entered Ottoman service. Yeah. That later becomes a, an issue. But Vlad, uh, Vlad remained defiant despite constantly being punished for his misbehavior. Yes. And some suggested that these experiences he endured during his captivity may have shaped the right. sadistic nature in life. And but I the brother, yeah. the brother, they said, went a different path. Like, yeah. basically, the brother drank all the Kool-Aid Well, yeah. and, and got and in. I and I mean, when you see your other brother being beaten for yeah, for not Yeah, and that's a typical, in. like, I yeah. buy that as a typical sibling yeah. story. Because you yeah. have the one brother that's just like, fuck you. And you got the other no, brother. Man, I'm not doing that. And then <laughs> the other brother going, I don't want to be treated like that. So what do you want me to do? No, exactly. And I, that's <laughs> yeah. definitely a, 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 I see that as a very common sibling well, yeah. turn of events right yeah. there. Yeah. So in 1447, Vlad II was ruler of, it was, well, he was ousted as the ruler of Wallachia. The father. By, yes, by loyal um, or local boyars or noblemen. And he was killed in the swamps near Blutini, midway between Targovist and Bucharest in modern-day Romania. And Vlad's older brother, Mercia, was also killed with the elder Vlad. 
1448, Vlad embarked on a campaign to regain his father's seat from Vladislav II, the new ruler. And he took his first crack at taking back the throne, and he depended on the military support of the Ottoman governors of the cities along the Danube River in northern Bulgaria. And Vlad took advantage of Vladislav's absence as he was off fighting the Ottomans in the Balkans for the governor of Hungary, John um, Hunyadi. Yeah, yeah. Which, to backtrack just a moment, Mm -hmm. the John Hunyadi was basically, that was the, uh, well, was it Wallachia or Wallachia? Wallachia. Wallachia was under the leadership of John Hunyadi. And that's where, again, it gets kind of weird because he he attacked uh, or he was under the leadership of uh, or uh, like alliance with the Ottomans. Right. And attacked uh, while. God, my Uh, COVID COVID brain. While Vladislav II was away fighting. Yeah. That's when Vlad took his. um, He moved in while they were out on these campaigns. But two months later, he was deposed with Hunyadi's help, and Vladislav II took back the throne. Yeah. Little is known about Vlad III's whereabouts between 1448 and 1456, but he switched sides in the Ottoman-Hungarian conflict, um, severing ties with the governors of the Danube, and he obtained military support from King Ladislaus V of Hungary. And this dude disliked Vladislav II, so this helped set the... The stage for his second attempt and to he, take back. Yeah, his and, and before seat. that second attempt, they basically a lot of them say he spent a lot of years under his uncle, Prince uh, Bogdan the Second, and basically they became good friends, and they would promise they'd help each other out right, in the future. Yep, yep. and that kept the promise of keeping six thousand horsemen or so aside with his uh, uncle. Uh, let's see. Yeah. When they were fleeing around. So they had kind of this, uh, like this group of bandits, so to speak, (laughs) where they were Robin Hood and his merry men. Yeah. And they were just (laughs) kind of coming through and then, and then basically Pope Pius, uh, the second. Yes. Requested a new crusade against the Ottomans that kind of reared up all the stuff that the crusade was to basically last like three years. Mm -hmm. And that's weird because. This is when all of a sudden the John Hunyadi and Vlad the Three unite in a way. Well, I mean, it's different when you're talking about the principalities of Hungary. You know, each wants it's kind of like Game of Thrones, where they each have like their mm-hmm. their guy that rules their area or their family that rules their little area, like the north, the south, and and whatnot. But when there's a a common threat, like the Ottomans are like, I would like all your shit that yeah. I can see where Hunyadi would be like, um, hey guys. Yeah, but hey. it's, it's just interesting because they just <laughs> yeah. step up to align with them, even though it's not even a year or two earlier, no. they're taking over yep. the spot where his dad was well, and hey. went against his dad. And it just, again, shows 
and I'm just bringing this up, it was very turbulent times. It wasn't great. And, you know, when people are seeking for safety and normalcy and consistency, there's none of that here. No. None of that. No. I can't even imagine this time period of just how volatile everything is. Because at one time you find out that your leader's working with somebody that just took out your whole town a year ago. Yep. Yep. And now they're together under the crusade with the Pope to do this yep. thing. And you're looking like, all right, I guess we'll just see how this goes. You know, and I, at the same time, you know, these people are trying to have food to survive. Yeah, they're just, trying to survive disease. Yeah. And then they've got war on top of it. It's yeah. like, seriously, it's pretty crazy. You know, we've got it so easy. So, so easy. today. Yeah. So easy. Like, it's, it's the beauty of reading ridiculous. this. Like you really realize yeah. how nice everything you re- yep. is. You and know, you're like, it's... you know what? I'm so thankful and grateful for everything that I have. <laughs> Thank you that I don't have to worry about dying because I caught a cold. Yeah. Thank you for not having a warring faction, <laughs> you know, blow through my town and, and just decimate it and yeah. Rape, torture, kill. Everyone. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah, so no. with this crusade lasting three years, the son of John Hunyadi, Matthias Corvinus, right? Which doesn't that name show up in like the uh, Underworld. vampire yeah. lore? Yeah. yeah. Like the the father. Yeah. That's where we'll get into this at the end, where Hollywood steals everything, but <laughs> not steals everything. They make a good story out of it. They that's, do. Uh, but they lead the effort, and basically they received like 40,000 gold coins to uh, purchase like these 10 Danube warships, gather an army of like 12,000 men, and the only European leader who showed any enthusiasm for the crusade was Vlad III, yeah. Vlad the Impaler. Yeah. And this was all in an effort to keep the Ottomans out of, what was it? Wal- Wallachia. Wallachia, yeah. I I'm, I'm going to be so happy when my COVID brain just disappears away. Well, you know? here's the thing. They I don't, don't want to hear how yeah. long it lasts. Well, I <laughs> no, and I've been told with other things and I'm not getting into yeah. my medical life, but I've been in this situation before. Right. And I worked my way out of it. And I think I'm going to have to go back to that. Yeah. And I'll keep everybody posted because if it works, I'll tell you exactly what I did. But I'm not going to float bullshit around. So he <laughs> allies himself with uh, Corvinus. And, and meanwhile, the Ottoman Empire under the Sultan of Mehmed II responded to the lack of European enthusiasm to this new crusade. And they go on the offensive catch, capturing the last independent Serbian city, uh, Smed, Smedner, Smednerevo. Easy I told for you, you to say. told you. I'm going to butcher <laughs> the hell out of this. So... Uh, Ottoman forces capture uh, the Hungarian general, general tortured his men to death. The general himself, who had been Vlad III's only ally when he raised uh, several Saxon villages in 1458 in response to a merchant revolt, was sawed in half. And this is just to get that Vlad wasn't yeah. the only badass no, doing stuff. No. Like, this is how they handled business back then. But also, yeah. too, okay. They're fighting constantly. Yeah. So even if you do take rule and you have your reign, if you will, Mm -hmm. that didn't mean 
your your reign would last a long time. Like you yep. had to be on your toes all the time. And what better way to send a message than to be as brutal as you possibly can, if for no other reason than to buy yourself like an extra month or two. Well, and you also have the religious undertones under this. Yeah. This is good versus evil yes. for them. Yes. On both Very sides. So. The yes. Ottomans look as they're yep. they're evil yep. and the European remainder Yep. Is looking as these guys are evil. Exactly. And it literally is this. Um, guys, can't you know, we all just get along? Yeah, that person <laughs> got put on a speck, you know. Yeah, they did. And they were the first to go. Yeah, yeah. And and that's where I look at uh, you had the whole religious undertones of good and versus yep. evil. You have these warlords just going around yeah. trying to grab as much as they can. Yeah. It's. I mean, if you really want to talk about a total state of lawlessness, mm -hmm. I think this period right here just puts the exclamation point on it. Definitely. Like people will look yeah. back, like especially Americans, Americans will look back and be like, oh, the Wild West, man, there was no rules. It's like, eh. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, I get what you, you're you guys saying. still respected the dead. You buried them in caskets, you know, even yeah. though you were shooting each other in poker games and yeah, stuff. But I mean,. But as yeah. we get on, and I mean, we haven't even dipped into what these people are doing. Sawn no. people in half is yeah. the start of this story. It's pretty mild in comparison. Yeah, yeah. And uh, do you want to splice into this, or you want me to keep going? Um, I just have that uh, Vlad III's political and military tact truly shown at the fall of Constantinople in 1453. And after the fall, the Ottomans had their eyes set on conquering Europe, but Vlad's anti-Ottoman position secured the throne as voivode of Wallachia in 1456. Mm -hmm. And his first order of business was to stop paying the annual tribu tribute to the Ottoman sultan, and the payment was meant as a, a peacekeeping. Yeah. And and he was basically, he wrote to this, you know, the Sultan. Yeah. And said, I can't afford to pay the tribute. Yeah. That's how it started. Yeah. And this is a great. Sorry. Great. Yeah. He's like, look, <laughs> the guy I'd love to, I'd love to help fund your massacring of what I'm against. Of my people. But I yeah, just can't afford it. You know. I, you know, I just took over. Yeah. I just got back But from here's an interesting point. At that time, the Sultan didn't know what was going on. He didn't know at this time the alliance with Corvinus. Right, no. He didn't know None any of, of this stuff. So, yeah. so Vlad's playing it pretty cool. He really is. You know, he's playing it pretty cool. He's like, look, I can't afford to pay the tribute. But as times would go through, the Sultan starts receiving intelligence that Vlad's alliance with Corvinus is, it's happening. And he, it's happening. <laughs> and he sent uh, basically like a chieftain over right. to meet with Vlad, but his real agenda was to ambush him and bring right. him forcibly back to Constantinople. Yep. So Vlad learns of this plan and he devises his own ambush in response. And when this chieftain's cavalry comes through and it's like about a thousand men, Mm -hmm. They're transversing uh, through a narrow, uh, narrow pass to the north of, uh, I'm not even going to try that that name. Uh, it's like, Gear, I'll try it. Girgu? Sure. Yeah. No, <laughs> but Vlad and his forces attack, and the chieftain's surrounded. They're defeated. And Vlad's forces were among the first European crusaders to employ the use of gunpowder. Yes. Which I found pretty revealing in this. 
Didn't know about that. I, I mean, read a lot about this stuff before. I'm gonna say, but this. I didn't know the gunpowder In thing. Reading up on this guy, he was oh, quite he's smart. The like you the, can have somebody crazy, you know, and I think people have to. People today definitely have to draw those lines. Yeah, where you know someone could be terrible, vicious, awful. Yes, but they also could be very, very smart and really good at their shit. Yeah, and just yeah. really know what they're doing and mm-hmm. why they're doing what they're doing. You might not agree with it, and you might be right. like, "Look, that's yeah. way out of bounds." But, hey. but I think you also have to give the respect to some that they're really, really smart. Yeah, they really were organized and Definitely. and put together. In Vlad's case of being the smaller group, yeah, against this basically massive powerhouse, yeah, that eventually took him down. Right. But but his strategies were pretty amazing and he used gunpowder and then almost all of the turkish forces were killed and most were impaled and this is when he started doing the impaling yes and and he was very specific about how his impaling was done and the chieftain himself was impaled on the highest stake and it was basically indifference to his rank right yes and there was a lot to be said of what he was doing and following that battle Vlad Dracula crossed the Danube River to attack regions in Bulgaria between Serbia and the Black Sea. And he was fluent in Turkish during his years of captivity in the Ottoman court. So he actually disguised himself and infiltrated Ottoman forces. Yes. Like most people would send a guy to do that. He's like, no, I'm going to do this myself. And he ordered the guards to open the gates. And of course, when they did, his forces come piling in. And they slaughtered every enemy soldier he could find and any population that even sympathized with the Turks. And his forces covered some, like, they said 800 kilometers in approximately two weeks. That's insane. Yeah. Absolutely insane. And they killed over 20,000 Turks. And describing the attacks, Vlad uh, Vlad wrote the following to his ally. I just, (laughs) this is just nuts. He wrote this to his ally, Corvinus, in February of 1462. I have killed peasant men and women, old and young, who lived at uh, the two towns, I'm not even going to try those, uh, where the Danube flows into the, the sea, up to uh, Rahova, which is located near Chilia, from the lower Danube up to such places as another two I'm not even going to try. We killed 23,884 Turks without counting those whom we burned in homes or the Turks whose heads were cut by our soldiers. Thus, your highness, you must know that I have broken the peace. <laughs> I mean, he did send it. That is quite the statement. And and you look at it, again, the precise numbers of the dead were reported as the following. This one place, 6,840. Yep. This other place, 6,414. This other place, 1,460. And they're specific numbers. Right. Like 630, 410, 384. Yeah. So I'm buying this. Yeah. Because if this person, which we're going to get into the actual impaling process. Yes. Should we do that now? I, yeah. I mean, I think we should. But this just shows how meticulous I think he was. Yes. And when I see numbers like that, I'm not surprised by it. So what's the... So- Let's before we before we before we describe the impaling process to solidify his power as voivode, he needed to quell the conflicts taking place between 
and among Wallachia's boyars. So according to legend, Vlad invited hundreds of these warring boyars to a banquet, Mm. knowing they'd challenge his authority. And he had the guests stabbed and their still twitching bodies were impaled on spikes. And this story was documented in printed material from around the time of Vlad III's rule. And it should be noted in the 1460s and 1470s, just after the invention of the printing press, the oral stories were printed in pamphlets and dispersed. Dispersed, yeah. And some of these legends were published in a book, The Tale of Dracula, by a monk who presented Vlad III as a fierce but just ruler. Yeah. So let's get into the impaling process because this dude was very meticulous. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Do you want to do it or... No, I'll let you go. Okay, yeah. So basically, to impale his victims, he would tie each leg to a horse and slowly force a stake through the body. It couldn't be too sharply pointed, though. No, he would. it would often begin in the orifices, such as the anus or vagina, and he took care to ensure that the stake was not too sharp so it would actually cause a wound and thus being rapidly fatal. Right. Once the victim was sufficiently impaled, the stake would then be lifted upright. Yep. And the victim would be further impaled by the weight of their own body yep. via gravity yep. down the stake. Mm-hmm. The victim would often take hours, even days to die, and their corpses would, re- would sometimes be in place for months. Yep. Who wants to clean up that mess? I and then mean- while impaling was his preferred method of execution, he also said... To have boiled and roasted victims alive, cut off various body parts, including limbs, noses, ears, breasts. He'd strangle victims, expose them to wild animals, skin them, burn them alive. Boiled, he fed to their yeah, either ally or loved one. Yeah, he he said he'd arrange the bodies of his victims, particularly those he impaled, in geometric patterns. And he supposedly continued to practice his ritualistic killing on animals such as mice and rats, even when he was in prison later on, like in yeah. the Ottomans. So this guy, it's my art, you know, <laughs> it's just crazy. <laughs> and uh, on the domestic front, like it wasn't just on the outside. And that's where I, I kind of laugh at the, like in the borders, everybody say, well, he was a just ruler. Mm-hmm. There might have been a lot of fear in that statement because on the domestic front, like female chastity was of particular concern to him. Oh, yes. And for women who had lost their virginity before marriage, those who strayed during their marriage or those who were unchaste as a widow, he doled out a pretty harsh penalty. They would be impaled often through the vagina on a red hot stake. Yep. He would also sometimes cut off their breasts and it was said he forced their men to eat them. Yep. What? It's crazy. Well. And then he also, uh, lastly, I'll put, you know, uh, he also felt that beggars were living off the sweat of others. Yes. As it were, and that this was a form of thievery. Mm -hmm. And according to the legend, and this is a legend, is that he invited him to a fabulous feast. And once they had eaten, he'd close and lock the doors to the dining hall, and he would proceed to set it on fire. And no one would escape the the flames in this way. This was how they were saying that he claimed to, like, eradicate poverty. I mean. It's quite a message. If the beggars are gone, (laughs) there's nobody left to beg. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's not great, but he wasn't wrong. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing I look at it as with with that is the basically the burning of the room. Like, you know, how many dining halls is he going to have where he burns this over and over again? Oh, yeah. I would think if that story is true. I bet that, he I'm did gonna, that. Once. Use my role of assumption yeah. and say that happened once, and then everybody's like, you know what? Instead of panhandling out in the road, I'm gonna see if old, uh, you know, Stu needs help in the general store or something like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, be what? a farmhand. I'm gonna go see if I can forage something in the woods. Yeah, because you know what? Or I'm just gonna leave. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna check the next town. It's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but. Yeah, it's 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 pretty it's pretty revealing and what people also have to understand is is he wasn't the only one doing this stuff. No, he wasn't. The thing was is he was doing this better and more than anyone else. And that's what yeah. rose him to the top yeah. of the ice cream sundae. Yes. You know, that's what made him the cherry on top. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So Vlad is credited with impaling dozens of Saxon merchants in Kronstadt, which is present-day Brasov, Romania, and once allied with the Boyers in 1456, around the same time, a visiting group of Ottoman envoys allegedly had an audience with Vlad, but they refused to remove their turbans, citing it was religious custom. So Vlad commended them on their religious devotion and ensured the turbans would forever remain on their heads by having them nailed to their skulls. Yeah. Yeah. So he's he's a sweet guy. <laughs> he really is. Do you think mom was proud? I, I often wondered Did that when I was reading all this survive stuff. Did yeah, delivering no. him? I, I, I mean, know. I don't know that he had... Or if she I was even around had, in his life, obviously she wasn't. Well, so is, I mean, he spent a decent yeah. amount of time in... Uh, this is the where this is a classic example of somebody that's just left to their own devices their whole life. Yeah. And and he was a feral child, if you know. You will. Yeah, yeah. A free range. A free yeah. range Vlad is not a good Vlad. Well, no, and then, like his brother <laughs> went through some sort of structure and he, and he yeah. just didn't. He had no yep. structure, no nothing, no boundaries. And again, I'll say it for what it was, he's smart. Smart person. I mean, yeah. He was if he put this energy into just raising a farm, you know. mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. but I don't think he would have got past the animals, but now it's uh let's see where are we? Uh, so after where are we heading next I to? have after Mehmet the second, the one who had conquered Constantinople invaded yeah. Wallachia in 1462, mm -hmm. he was able to go all the way to the capital city of Targovist but found it deserted. And in front of the city, the Ottoman prisoners of war were all impaled. Yeah. So he clearly sent a message to Mehmet. And from what I read, not only Mehmet, but the Ottoman soldiers under him, seeing this. Even the Sultan. Yeah. The Sultan said that were, he was so impressed by the yeah. sight of 20,000 impaled soldiers. Yes. That he remarked, a man who had... Uh, who had done such things was worth much. Now, I'm going to take a little detour. Okay. Take me on Mr. Toad's wild Yeah, because my mind starts thinking of things. And what I was really impressed, again, this was the, the opposition just being drop-jawed. Yeah. And impressed by the sight. And I just thought of 
20,000 impaled soldiers. Mm-hmm. What the hell does that even look like? Like, I can't even think in my mind well, what that looks like. Because they would talk of stories of forests filled with impaled people. Like, the, yeah. the impaled, not in a forest, but it looked like a forest. Correct. Yeah. So I did the math. Okay. And in this one battle alone, there was 20,000 soldiers impaled. Yes. So these, again, are reports from his enemies describing coming upon forests of impaled victims. Yes. So if you had 20,000 impaled soldiers Mm -hmm. upright at 12 feet apart, Mm -hmm. that's 2,880,000 square feet. That's 66 acres. (laughs) I'm going to repeat that because it bears repeating. That's 66 acres acres of just impaled soldiers 12 feet away from each other yep now a football field if people can't really kind of get this a football field without the end zones is baby basically close to an acre yeah close it's it's rough you know i mean basically like with the end zones you're looking at like 1.3 acres for a football field yeah not soccer but american football right yeah soccer i think actually a soccer field might be actually close to an, an acre. I but, could buy that. Yeah. 66 of those. Yeah. It's insane. And like I said, that's just wide open, yep. nothing else. Yep. But And I had that in my mind of what the hell that would look like. I had to figure that out. Mm-hmm. I had to look into it. And that's just amazing. I can't even amaze. The smell, the just everything of it just had to be so eerie and spooky. Well, I mean, and that wasn't his only method in his military excursions. No. Like he would send sick people, like people with the plague, into the yeah. camps to to get the his, you know, opponents sick with the plague. Yeah, he was actually the first he was one of the first um uh Didn't they call it like bio warfare? Well, no, but he now, at this point in the game, like, he really just instituted, like, a scorched policy. Mm-hmm. He just went scorched earth all over. Mm-hmm. And he was the first one to actually get into this uh, this just different type of germ warfare. Right, yeah. Nobody really considered this. And he poisoned waters yep. and evacuated the population, including the animals, yep. as the Turks advanced. Yep. He waged... Germ warfare by sending people infected with deadly diseases, as mm-hmm. you were saying, notably bubonic plague to mix with the Turks and infect them. The plague did, in fact, spread to the Sultan's army. Yeah. It did get to him. Yep. And again, this is where it's just, it's nuts. You hear these crazy stories. Uh, he utilized his fluency in the Turkish language and he disguised himself and entered the Turkish encampment. Yeah. The stones on this guy. It's just yeah. insane. Yeah, seriously. I mean, like, you look at today's modern warfare. You got a four-star general. I'll say it in the States, but it's everywhere. You got a general that's sitting in the... the... Well, they're sitting in a confined yeah. space. Well, my know, COVID head's they're not, going again. They're but... not actually out and fighting. Yeah, no, they're in this military room, this yeah. strategy room, and you had the leaders of countries that... Yeah. And, I mean, honestly, he's not even a military leader. He's trying to be... Like a, a nation leader, a country leader, a yeah. county leader. Yeah. And 
these are all people that are in offices now. Let's just say it for what it is. Yeah. They're in offices. Yeah. Even if you have a, a, a general on the ground, he's in a tent. It's an office. It's a yeah. It's he's a scene. Not with his, he's with not his in guys. there, let alone entering the enemy encampment to learn the location of the Sultan's tent. And he ordered his men to remain in their tents at night as so uh, to avoid panic in yeah. the event of an, an attack. I mean, like, he's just, yeah, I'll go in there and I'll check it out. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. Absolutely insane. And he There's almost, because just... he was going to assassinate the Sultan, and he yeah. almost succeeded. And he almost pulled it off, which yep. is the crazy part of it. He divided his men to attack from two sides, used some of the uh, Turks they had taken prisoner to penetrate the camp. Mm-hmm. And then once inside the camp, they caused chaos throughout the night. And I mean, this is well documented. June 17th. 1462, all this went down. They slaughtered, according to some sources, approximately 15,000 Ottomans while only losing 5,000 of their own men. Yeah. I mean, it's just insane. And uh, they said that Vlad might have killed the Sultan himself were it not for the fact that he mistakenly went into the tent of two of the Sultan's grand uh, visitors instead. And location, location, location. (laughs) All I could think of was the Grand Vizier yeah. from uh, Aladdin. Aladdin, yeah. <laughs> and at daybreak, Vlad broke off the attack, retreated to the mountain refuge. None of the Sultan's force, forces dared to follow. No. And they actually, the source of the account said that the Sultan was so despondent over the attack that he abandoned the camp and would have continued to flee were it not for some friends that like brought him back. Like, dude, yeah. you can't run away. And despite the low morale, the Sultan and his forces proceeded to advance into the capital city. They found it deserted, gates wide open. They also found the impaled army of the 20,000 people, as well as, uh, I believe it's uh, the chieftain of that was Pasha, um, Hamza Pasha. And again, on the, the highest stake. It's really just incredible what he was doing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, let's, just overall, let's be honest, it's really what he incredible. Accomplished was pretty amazing. Yeah, and not only this, but not only badass stuff with him. The Turks retreated, and they proceeded to surround Vlad's castle. Somehow, they got yeah. into that position, and it's like 860 meters high on a cliff outside the city. Yeah, and Vlad's first wife, unknown by name, was in the castle at the time, and upon seeing the army surround the castle reportedly remarked she would rather feed the fish of the uh, the waters around her yep. than fall into Turkish hands. And as the story goes, she threw herself off the cliff into the river. Yep. She's a badass. <laughs> yeah. But this is where the sultans, uh, they just had a bigger army. They did. And it's where it numbers really numbers. came through. Yep. And just through one battle and another, the sultans just made their way in, and Vlad, I believe, retreated to Hungary at this point. Well, in August 1462, Vlad was forced into exile in Hungary, and he was unable to defeat Mehmet II. And he He hooked up with Corvinus at this time, He was imprisoned for a number of years, and during his exile, um, he married and had a couple children, and that's when they're saying that they doubt that he would have been allowed to marry if he were still, quote-unquote, imprisoned. Yeah. So it's suspected that he was released from his, quote-unquote, exile, and that's what allowed him to 
to marry. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, Radu, Vlad's younger brother, the sympathetic, the one sympathetic to the Ottomans, uh, he took over governing Wallachia during Vlad's imprisonment, but Radu died in 1475, and the lo- the local boyars and several nearby principality rulers all fla- all favored Vlad's return. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, I mean, let's be honest. Oh, I know. What he had done yeah. in, in the time of his, his quote-unquote reign, I mean, he almost, he almost succeeded. He almost yeah, pulled close. it off. Yeah. And I can I can see where they're like maybe give him one more crack at it. <laughs> yeah, and I could see I could see the support for him. I really can. It's uh, yeah. I just I I'm amazed every time I read into this this guy. Yeah, and I mean doing it as an episode today. It's 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 just crazy kind of talking about it in a, in a forum like this outside of you and I just talking in the car about it. Right, you know, yeah. but no, it was. But it's just, I, I don't want to have like the man crush. I don't want that to be perceived yeah. as like the giant man crush. But like, I just had the deepest respect for this guy and the position he was in, the time era he was in. Yeah, and um, and I of, often have a deep respect for people that just do things really, really well, even if it's bad. Uh, yeah, like I can. Yeah. I'm grown up enough to understand. Yes, it's bad and all that, but I can still have this deep respect for somebody that just was pretty damn good at it. At, at the end of the day, he really was doing his job. His job is to yeah. protect his Yeah, I, well, I think he mixed a little personal into he work did, a bit. You know, I, let's be did. honest. He but. did. He did. But I mean, his work presented the opportunity for him. Oh, yeah. To yeah. This is a timing is everything moment. Yeah, like he was he, in the right time era. He was in the... Right, everything. Right. The, yeah, the planets were aligned. Yeah. everything was working to his advantage until 1476. Yeah, yeah. And in 1476, with the support of the voivode of Moldovia, Stephen the Third, the Great, from and he ruled from 1457 to 1504. Vlad made one last effort to reclaim his seat as ruler of Wallachia. He stole back the throne, but it was short lived. Later that year. Marching to another battle with the Ottomans, Vlad and a small vanguard of soldiers were ambushed and Vlad was killed. Yeah. No one is certain where Vlad III's tomb is located, but these are the contenders. One, the monastery church in Snigov on the northern edge of the modern city of Bucharest in accordance with the traditions of the time, or the monastery of Comana between Bucharest and the Danube, and it's close to the presumed location of the battle in which Vlad was killed. Yeah. Now, have did you hear where about they, the weird thing with the monastery? Where they found so the, there was a trap door. Yeah. So basically, what it is is the monastery was used as a prison and torture chamber. Mm-hmm. Again, let's talk about how just different. The times are. Yeah, the monastery. The monastery. <laughs> yeah. And it had a trap door that would open when prisoners would pray before the Virgin Mary. Yep. And then it would drop them to their death to their on sharp stakes. Yeah, they would be impaled on the stakes below. This is crazy. Like, you are really at just, like, you're becoming the closest you are in your belief. Yes. Like, like you're doing... Like, praying before the Virgin Mary in a monastery, yep. like... That's the closest you're getting to your faith 
And there should be no safer space. And you would think, yeah. I mean, like the mind on that yeah. is in, that's amazing. You know, yeah. that just, you know, here, what if they were just sitting around in a round table? That's when I read that, I'm thinking, I instantly yeah. warp into how like the planning room. Come to yeah. Be? How did that become an idea? You know, where they just sitting around eating and they're like, look, I got an idea. It's a little out of the box. They're drinking the sacramental yeah. wine. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. I got an idea. So picture it. You're kneeling. You're praying. You're talking to your to your creator. They, they and all want of a sudden, it. boom, you fall through the floor and you're impaled on some stakes. Huh? Huh? They want to see God. Let's just make it Let's happen. Send you know? them right to it. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty incredible. So the history, um, the hour-long history book on Vlad had mm-hmm. a chapter, or it was in one of the chapters, where they thought they had found Vlad's body. Yeah. It, like, it had the... The purple cloak and It, it had that. everything that was significant the to the time. That's yeah, no. And um, they... Didn't they send it to like the Museum of Hungary where it mysteriously disappeared? disappeared? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely well, even like his um, his ally Corvinus uh, was believed to play a role in darkening up Vlad's image, mm-hmm. and it was ordered because basically what you had now was just this massive power vacuum. Yeah, after he was gone. Yeah, and he was really the one kind of keeping the air still and these opposing forces and then Mm -hmm. with him out and i mean and that's where you got to see the genius of the sultan sultan's like we got to get rid of this guy yeah we get rid of this guy and all this other shit just falls into place right but this guy's the problem and that's where you look during that period they they did that and it worked because corvinus was darkening the the image in order to justify his decision to end hostilities with the ottomans Mm-hmm. And um, he abandoned the the reign to their rule, mm-hmm. and despite the political motivations behind the stories, they just started to become literature. Yeah, and in fact, these were these stories were the best sellers, thanks to the printing press. Yes, in the fifteenth and sixteenth century, and this just totally begins to widen out Vlad's dark reputation. Right, and. This, again, this inventing of the printing press played this role in bringing these texts to a broader audience. And this is where you get this mix of his story. Yep. And our other episode with vampires brings this out where you have these people that have these symptoms and these certain behaviors and you just get a combination of stories and Mm -hmm. this whole vampire era starts like the vampire era was also starting at this time as you can see i'm segueing into the dracula end of it yeah and yeah and and that that puts this whole bookend you know or you know this this whole kind of dark period is really coming through yeah with with his stories and then bram stoker wrote dracula wrote dracula and the interesting part I found with it, which, I mean, you can go with this one. I mean, it's just, a, it's interesting because everybody says, oh, Vlad the Impaler was the sole inspiration nah. of yeah, I don't think Bram Stoker's Dracula. was because 
there's evidence that when Bram Stoker was writing anything, be it uh, a short story, yeah. an essay, an article, a book, he took explicit notes. Mm-hmm. Like I'm thinking his notes in and of themselves could have been a separate yeah. published work, yep. if you will. And his notes for Dracula only had that Dracul or Dracula in um, Hungarian or Romanian meant devil. Mm-hmm. And that's what he focused on. Yeah. Now, he did speak with professors of history at the time, and he did read several stories about Vlad, but it was these two dudes in, like, 1972, and I don't remember their names, but they were the ones who essentially broke out and wrote this detailed comparison between Vlad and Dracula. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to be honest. I mean, a lot of it is a stretch. Like... Vlad in real life, his description doesn't match no. Dracula's. And I truly think the stake in the heart and Vlad impaling his victims on stake, that's a huge leap. Yeah, like, but even did they that twist like their ankles jumping <laughs> yeah. to that conclusion. But now as people again are starting to look into Bram Stoker's notes, it just basically his name's brought up once. I my personal opinion, I think he liked the name. And, and he's like, yo, dude, that I'm, would be a great name I, for my vampire. Yeah, I'm going with that. And yeah. and again, the reason I bring up the whole printing press and yep. like we talked about it in the vampires, the vampires were starting to gain traction in that area yeah. in their own right. Yes. And I think yes. you could have been into vampires, you know, more of the stories. And again, like the frothing of the mouth and people right. had rabies yeah. and yeah. stuff like that. And they just thought this is this was the whole werewolf vampire era Yeah, that people had where... I think I think it's a stretch as well that exactly. there's a direct correlation here. Yeah. I think yeah. you like the name. And honestly, it's a fucking cool name. cool name. It's a cool I'm name. Not, of his 57 names, <laughs> it's not a bad one. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, let's be honest. At it, it, the beginning, it meant dragon. Dragon, yeah. And, and he really did behave like a dragon. Like, he left awake. Yeah. Behind him. He had dragon's blood. <laughs> Does that mean he was out there going, oh. Ooh. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe Sky. Wasn't that the dragon We got to talk to the folks at Skyrim. You know, that's Do they the, know uh, something we don't? <laughs> <laughs> but it was a very, very turbulent and violent episode in European history. Yeah, it it truly was. And a lot of rulers at that time used cruel methods to slaughter innocent civilians right alongside soldiers and committed what would be considered by today's standards crimes against humanity. I mean, yes. It really is. It was just a different time, man. Different time. And again, I get back to they had to send a message to everyone who was against them. Mm -hmm. They're like, you want to come after me? This is what happens when you come after me. Well, and that's the thing. I mean... They're just fighting for survival. You know, and his methods, were they any crueler than those of his co- contemporaries? Maybe. Uh, you know, know, were they in line with what was considered normal for the period? You know, certainly those who suffered by his hand would find his methods cruel and unusual. But again, to those he was protecting, he was a hero and a leader. Yeah. And it's a different time period. Yeah. But his main rule 
from 1456 to 1462. It's a short time, six years. Yeah, it's like at the end of the day, and he had to fight that whole time. The whole entire time was fighting. And And it was victories, it was defeats, it was uh, being under pressure. Uh, impressed even his enemies so much that they complimented him as a worthy adversary. Right. That's but the thing. That... If he hadn't impaled people, do you think he would have had a six-year reign? No, no, he would have had no reign. Yeah, exactly. And that's where, but that's how it all was then. Exactly. Like everybody has to understand, yes. it was a warlord yep. era. Yeah. And everybody wants to talk about warlords now. It's like warlords now ain't got shit no. on this here. Bunch. Pussy. Maybe some real <laughs> some. primitive areas in yes. the country would, would show something like this. And that's a different topic altogether. But there are primitive areas in the in the world today that do exhibit some kinds of this behavior, but nowhere near the scale of this. No. This uh the scale of this is just intense. And you know, he earned his feared reputation as the Impaler Lord. Mm-hmm. Again, another fucking just balls deep name. <laughs> in pursuing his goal of repelling the Ottoman Empire, it's basically said he killed about 40,000 to 100,000 troops, mostly by impaling. Yeah. And in one battle alone, he said to impale the 20,000 soldiers. Right. Yep. And this was where, you know, they just talk about these forests of impaled victims. And. Many of them were just so frightened as a result, they left the Turkish region of Europe and returned to a whole different area. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, no, not only am I leaving, I'm I'm leaving. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's... Uh, I mean, do you blame them? Oh, I don't blame it one bit. If, it, if you and I were in a situation like that and we were of no uh, capacity of having a group of people and band say it's just you and I, we're gone <laughs> way out. Peace out. Yeah, don't want anything to do with See it. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. But that's mostly what I got for this. Yeah, that's, and, that's uh, what I got. It was an interesting read. I do have a vampire joke for the occasion. Ah, oh, lay it on me. What is a vampire's least favorite food? Garlic. Steak. <laughs> and on that note... Oh, I love a good dad joke. Yeah, we'd like to we'd like to thank you all for listening again. Thanks for sticking with us. Yeah. And uh yeah, we're still in the dining room. I'm yeah. working on it, babe. I'm trying. <laughs> we're getting there. And uh we uh again encourage you if you're uh if you know somebody that's interested in the podcast to uh direct them to ohthehorrorpodcast.com. Yep. That's the one-stop shop where everyone can find their Get their uh, horror slash history fix. You can listen to the podcast, but our Facebook group's on there. You can connect to our Instagram account. We're trying to be a little more active in those presents, too. Yeah, I don't have Instagram, but I am very active in the <laughs> yeah. uh, Facebook group. And we're going to share a reference map. Yeah, basically. For the, you know, the area. For this, it's it'll not only be relevant to Vlad's story, but also the our next, next topic, the next episode, which I'm more excited for so this excited. topic than, yes. than this one. So up next is 
Elizabeth Bathory. She is also known as the Blood Countess. The Blood Countess. And hey, those two dudes that are looking for like a vampire correlation, this chick yeah. was, if you want to get as close to a vampire as you can get, was this chick. Yeah. And we're equal opportunity here. We did a dude today. We're doing a chick next week. And they're both batshit crazy, crazier than shithouse rats. Well, I started looking ahead on this one, and the person that made the comment was, well, you know, she was left to her own devices yeah. because, you know, her husband was off fighting. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Left yeah. to your own devices? This is what you come up with? Yeah, yeah. I... Whatever. Buckle up, guys. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with she. Well, we'll get into that next week. That's a whole. It's going to be a good one. That's a whole separate hour. But thanks again for uh, for checking us out. Like I said, if you know of anyone that would be interested in, in what we're doing here. If I, there's a topic that you would like us to cover. Yes, email us at OTH at SeriouslyDecent.com. If you have a story or Correct. an experience that you would like to share if you would like us to share it on the podcast, just let us know. Definitely. If you would like to just share it with us to get some sort of insight, we're happy to do that as well. Of course. And again, the email is OTH, O-T-H at com. Yep. And again, thanks for, thanks for being with us. And we, again, request that you rate and review and subscribe through yep. your, your podcast platform. If you also know of other podcast platforms where you originally looked for us and we weren't there and that's your preferred platform, let, let us, us know. know and we'll uh, we'll toss our feed that way. Absolutely. Have a great week. And again, make good choices. Take care. <laughs> <laughs>